Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper that's titled Horse Riding Competitions Pre and Post COVID 19 Effect of Anxiety, SRPE, and Heart Rate on Performance in Eventing. And this is a November 2020 paper that is by Sabrina DeMarie et al. And the aim of this study was to quantify the impact of the training restrictions due to COVID-19 um, emergency and physical lockdowns, which I think is an aspect that we've definitely not covered yet on the podcast, but it's a very interesting one to be able to delve into. So what impact these lockdowns has on our equine and human athletes in, a, in invent, eventing competitions? <laughs> so they wanted to look at the physical and emotional strain of horse riding eventing competitions before and after eight weeks of lockdown. Performance was assessed by the penalty points attained, anxiety by the competitive state anxiety inventory two, which was a questionnaire, and strain by the rating of perceived exertion so that's ORPE, Rating of Perceived Exertion. And moreover, heart rate was continuously monitored for all 54 female national level eventing horse riders that took part in this um, study. So lockdown decreased performance outcome for the horse riders in the competitions up to six weeks. And dressage was the most affected discipline. Performance in dressage was strongly related to both anxiety and to that session or PE. So that was the rating of perceived exertion. And after lockdown, show jumping and cross-country courses were actually shorter. And this allowed for that rating of perceived exertion to remain stable. So the session or PE significantly declined and cardiovascular strain um, it prevented it from exceeding the pre-lockdown values. In conclusion, the emotional stress in dressage and the workload in cross-country need to be carefully managed by equestrian eventing stakeholders when planning training or any competitions after a period of lockdown or a period where either the athletes or the horses for some reason cannot be exercised. Um, and then moreover, it said that the strain or PE appears to have a practical method of monitoring riders load during training and competition. And it's something that we can use for home-based training during any kind of activity restrictions when it comes to sport. So this was a paper that Nancy suggested and was an absolutely brilliant read. So thank you, Nancy, for bringing it to our attention. I thought it was really good for those of us that ride horses because it pointed out some physical attributes that I had no idea the strain 
that horseback riding puts on us physiologically. So, um, I mean, I even didn't realize that a lot of these athletes had what's called detraining syndrome. And so when lockdown occurred, now these riders were from Italy and we all know how COVID hit Italy very, very hard. And they were one of the first countries outside of China that actually had a severe lockdown because there were so many people dying. So um, they took extraordinary measures. Um, the government did from March 8th to the 4th of May, and they limited physical activity and sport. You could do outdoor jogging and running, but only in a 200 meter range from home, and then any other physical activity or competition was prohibited. And then after eight weeks of lockdown, um, elite athletes were allowed to undertake their outdoor sports, but um, they really uh, were behind the eight ball, so to speak, in their training. And then the competition increased just six weeks after lockdown ceased. So they were put under a lot of pressure and no surprise that the it did affect all three phases, but more than anything, it affected dr the dressage um, scores. And I think probably, Kate, it's because of the shortened events and stadium jumping and cross country. Mm -hmm. And dressage, oh my God, it's so anxiety ridden anyway, because it's subjective in a way. There's no clear cut measurements of faults and timing and all that uh, to measure your performance. It's all according to what the judge sees. So I think that puts a little bit more stress on us when we compete in the dressage arena. And then also you weren't allowed to ride your horse during lockdown. So I think it shows, um, I've always looked at dressage as being a foundation sport of mm -hmm. the equestrian world, because if you get your dressage right, then your other events are going to, um, the horse is going to be so much more able to perform. And it's kind of like us doing Pilates. It helps our other sport endeavors. So um, I kind of feel like you bond with the horse. And then also the horse's balance is so much better to perform. So I think not being able to visit horses or train them and then other trainers actually lunged them. That was the only exercise the horses really got was lunging by a person that didn't normally work with them. Yeah, and they stated that that person may have essentially detrimentally trained the horses at that time. So because that person wasn't familiar with the horses, they weren't an owner, they weren't a trainer. And um, they just came in and exercised them. Was it for a half an hour a day? Yes. So these, but these horses are like incredible athletes that are doing a huge amount of work. That's almost suddenly being put on box rest. Yeah, you know, they, they were getting light lunging essentially for 30 minutes a day. Yeah. It said um, that 
it was non-mounted round pin exercises at walk, trot, canter, 30 to 40 minutes a day. And that's it. And they thought the worst part that the, these exercise sessions were led by a trainer that was not their owner, not their usual rider, um, not anyone that was really familiar with the horse. So that that could be a welfare concern right there. Because mm-hmm. the risk of injury as well. But yeah. you touched, Nancy, on the detraining syndrome. And I found that really fascinating. So there was a study by Bampa and Buscelli, and they suggested that an abrupt cessation of training by highly trained athletes creates this phenomenon that's known as detraining syndrome. So detraining syndrome is characterized by insomnia, anxiety, depression, alterations to cardiovascular function, and loss of appetite. And they also, they discuss mental fatigue and really looking at the cognitive ability once you take away the ability to train. Because a lot of these athletes, the human athletes, ended up just having to try and do these home workouts or, as Nancy said, you know, it was secluded to a small area um, that you could go within the lockdown if you did leave your house. But they were really restricted in how they could keep themselves cardiovascularly fit over this six-week period. And that's really a a significant amount of time for both the humans and the horses that are used to a much more rigorous regime and workload. Um, And I think that loss of regime and the sudden kind of aimlessness that came with the lockdowns would have played a massive mental factor in it as well. Yeah, and it just reminded me of that cognitive um, kind of fog that came in during the lockdowns. It was kind of like you were always in a library because you couldn't go do anything. The gyms Mm -hmm. closed. I mean, I ended up making a workout area in my house because I just couldn't take it. And I do farm work as well, but it was just like too much of a change too quickly. And I think you could even have detraining syndrome after an injury. When you can't go ride, mm-hmm. you can't participate for the next tour show or the next event. And I I just think that's a really interesting syndrome, especially when you can't sleep and your anxiety levels go higher. And some people, as you said, Kate, go into a depression. So I thought that was really an interesting um, part of this paper. And we can use this in the future for hopefully we'll never have any other lockdown in our lifetime. But if that occurs again, they might have enough evidence from these research articles to do things differently. And before we came on to record, me and Nancy were just chatting about the paper. And one of the points as well that I thought of when it comes to this is we can even use this information for if there was some also hopefully never, but if there was some viral outbreak that was equine based and competition had to suddenly stop, there would be the benefit of hopefully training could still go ahead so the horses wouldn't be as detrimentally affected. 
and the riders could keep riding. But then again, it depends on the um, stocking density of the yards that the horses are in, how virulent the disease is. Like we know when strangles comes to a yard, how stringent we have to be so that doesn't spread among the whole herd. Um, so there's definitely aspects that can be utilized from that point of view as well. But in this study, it did start off with 98 male and female national level eventing horse riders. Um, but they had to exclude horse riders based on different factors. So 44 of those ended up being excluded. They were excluded if they didn't want to participate. So six of them didn't. If they had any musculoskeletal injury within six months of the study. So that was two. If they had any pulmonary distress symptoms within six months of the study, which was none. Um, if they had any musculoskeletal pain at the time of testing, and I don't think anyone, oh no, there was one person, um, or if they were eliminated during competitions, and that was 26 people. So then of the remaining 63, there was too small a data set of male riders, and the study decided to eliminate gender bias by removing that male data set which I think is really interesting or important to note because sometimes we, Nancy and I do delve into the materials and the methods of how they do research. But that means we're not, if we use a really small number of men and we're comparing it with this larger number of women on this specific topic, we're then saying that what these, you know, eight men, what their experience is, represents all male risers and it doesn't because the data set is too small so we want to make sure that we're not um basically like speaking where we don't have enough proof to back it up if that makes sense yep that's a good point kate about that small sample size of the men so they ended up with uh 54 female eventing horse riders and they were pretty elite wouldn't you say Kate they were like national riders yeah their age was around 22 years of age give or take a couple years um their um tallness they were 164.1 centimeters so I of course converted that for those of us in the states and Canada mm -hmm. and that's five uh, five feet, five inches tall. And then they were 55.8 kilograms. And that would be around 123 pounds, give or take. So um, they had been competing in eventing for almost, um, see, 78 months at the very least. So that would be a little over six years. And then during the three months before the study, uh, they had completed 15.2 training sessions each week over the course of six days per week. The average total training time each week was 12.3 hours, and that was uh, almost five hours in dressage, 4.3 hours in show jumping, and three hours on cross country. So during lockdown, 
uh, athletes trained on their own on a regular basis for only one and a half hours, five days a week. So that was jogging, stretching, a warm up, lightweight lifting. And um, the weightlifting was for both upper and lower limbs. And really no load core exercises were done. So that right there in a nutshell shows you how much their training level decreased. And this study actually began before lockdown. So they evaluated two competitions that were held four weeks before lockdown and then two competitions 10 weeks after training had recommenced post lockdown. So it's really great that they had the data set for these 54 female athletes before and after that initial lockdown. Really useful information that we were able to get out of that. Yeah, that's, uh, that is really, I think, what is the best part of this study is the data and how accurate it was. And especially when it comes to anxiety, because they did the, as you mentioned, the anxiety test, and they did it one hour before any um, testing was done. And they used the Martins et al. 1990 study, and it was on competitive anxiety. So I did Google Scholar that, and that anxiety inventory is available on Google Scholar. So I was so impressed with how they measured the anxiety, and they measured both mental and then uh, somatic aspects of it and how it affected the nervous system. So that was your increased sweating, increased heart rate. And then um, the cognitive part of that was always based in negative expectations and focused on negative thoughts. And so that was more the worry part of it. And that was so high during the dressage. And I think it's because dressage is so precise. What do you think, Kate? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think there's probably across eventing a lot of pressure. But in dressage, I feel like my feeling when I would have done it, not to put this on across the board, <laughs> but it's like you're under a microscope a little bit more. Because you don't notice the people as much that are judging you when you're doing cross country. Um, I think you can kind of zone out a little bit better. Now, maybe these national adventures, I mean, I was never to that level. So maybe they have the ability to zone out, but it's very much like um, a sport where you even have people on the sidelines watching you do it. And I know you have that for show jumping as well, but I do feel like it's a bit more under a microscope you're asking the horse to do like very like refined movements that are difficult and take a lot of flexibility and strength. Um, and I always love the fact that dressage horses look like they're floating because that takes an insane amount of muscle strength to be able to look like they're moving so lightly across the sands. Like there's such precision in the movements they make. So I think I would agree with you from that point of view, Nancy, that they feel under more pressure when it comes to that aspect of the sport. Yeah, I think it's the body control. And I, I think you're so right. Under the microscope is a good phrase that 
that would pertain to that. I think cross country and even stadium jumping, almost the momentum is carrying you. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you don't even hear the crowd or the people around. And and I've never been in a, a large show either, but even the little fun shows, you kind of just all of a sudden the, um, the audience doesn't exist. It's just you and your horse. But in the dressage, I think it is kind of like a ballet where um, the anxiety and the um, that perceived exertion also could be somewhat of a strain. I was amazed at the heart rate variables that were listed here in the heart rate um, data was unbelievable. I do a lot of working out and I enjoy exercise, but I did not know that show jumping before they even begin, most athletes reach almost a hundred percent of their heart rate before they even go in the ring. That I I do Peloton and I never reach a hundred percent heart rate and I don't think I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I'm not getting close to that, you know, but yeah, because I, mean, I had always heard it was 80%. Yeah, you yeah. know, was kind of what of your max is what you should go for. Well, and you're, you're you know, I mean, these amounts 100% and then 94% and uh, 75% of maximal op- oxygen uptake. I mean, just these stats alone show that horseback riding, you have to be an athlete to be able mm-hmm. to maintain these rates. And Nancy, was the max heart rate 220 minus your age? Yeah, when you go to a gym, at least in the United States, they have a chart and you do 220 minus your age and then you do 80% of that is your max heart rate. If you don't do the 80%, that 220 minus your age is your 100% heart rate. And I think by law, they have to have that chart up in in any commercial gym in the United States. And that's the way you figure out um, what your output is. Now, that um, strain of perceived uh, exertion, um, the R, what was it, Kate? RPE? RPE. Yeah, that, how many times have you done a workout? And I'm included in this. And I think, oh my God, that was such a good workout. I did so hard. And you're not even breaking a sweat. Yeah. (laughs) The perception of exertion is a little off. And I think that's common for people to do. I also think it's common for horse owners to sometimes think they've worked their horses enough and they really haven't. And so I think um, just like the paper we did on owners aren't really good at assessing body condition scores on their horses. They always think they're thinner than they really are. Well, I think that can happen with physical fitness too. And uh, I think whether it's us or our horses, I think the only time you really get a snapshot of your output is with a heart rate monitor, whether it's Mm -hmm. human or horse. And that's something I only recently came across in people is perceived strain because 
I had read that, for instance, if you're doing something that's more cardiovascularly taxing, so doing actual cardio running or you're on a bike or um, an elliptical trainer, something like that where you're moving your body, even like a Stairmaster, you're getting your heart rate up. So you are perceiving it's tough. You're starting to sweat and your perception of how hard it is is a lot more accurate because it is tough. But if you go and pick up some heavy weights, it's hard. But once you put them down, it feels that release again. So you can think to yourself like, oh, well, I just lifted like 50 kilos, like, you know, six times there. Like that's a significant workout. But the way weight training works is on breaking down muscle fibers. I believe I'm not an expert on this topic. So your perception you your muscles will ache and you'll be sore the next day so you'll perceive that you've done the same level of strain but you haven't cardiovascularly yeah and it's very it it has to be a um length of cardiovascular output it just can't be for 10 seconds it's got to be yeah for 20 minutes, you know, I mean, each person has their own threshold. And um, hopefully, as you progress in your fitness, or in your horse's fitness, you're constantly making a new threshold that, you know, with time and distance, and um, I guess it would be resistance would be part of that, you're increasing one of those three every couple of weeks. So with this, that perception, sometimes it found out it wasn't always accurate. And Mm -hmm. we do need measurements. And I think the great thing about this paper is they're already coming up with when training has to stop between you and your horse, what inputs can be done during the downtime where Mm -hmm lose so much and whether it's a lockdown a virus um, in animal or human whatever this study is making plans for how to guide us for the future and that's what I think really attracted me to this yeah I think it was a really nice read um and it was just it really drew me in the fact that they managed to get data before and after because I thought that was just absolutely brilliant I did want to add as well for anyone who is a horse rider, or even if you're not, we have a couple people I know that listen that aren't. Um, if you are looking to improve your fitness or you have maybe had a month off over the winter or some time off or your horse has to, we all know we need that kind of slow reintrodu- reintroduction to exercise for our horses. Um, I just want to say, do the same for yourselves. Like, Be kind to yourselves. One of the best forms of cardio you can do is just walk, just move your body. You don't have to run or pound yourself into the ground. Um, I mentioned that the perceived strain of weights is lower than cardio, but that doesn't mean it's any less important. If you can lift weights, it's so good for your muscles and your bones and your body. Um, And Nancy, you'll agree that I think working out overall is so important for your mind. It plays a huge role. So ease yourself back in the same way we ease our horses in. Um, 
and speak to yourself the way you'd speak to your horse is maybe another <laughs> good one. Yeah. And also, I wanted to add that that cognitive fog that occurred during COVID, they also kind of put that into the dressage part of this, that memory is such a huge um, part of doing a dressage test and that they thought that capacity as well um, might have diminished a little bit during lockdowns. And that's why they mentioned the uh, mental part of the lockdown and that cognitive, um, I call it somewhat a depression or fog that occurred. People weren't getting enough physical activity. Yeah. And it does. It, you know yourself once you get up and you get outside and get a bit of fresh air, you just feel so much better. And just like you said, Kate, just taking a walk or a run or hiking in the woods, it's all so much better for our mental outlook. You know, problems seem so big until you get on the back of a horse or mm -hmm. you go for a walk in the woods. Yeah you know, with your dog, that is such a key part of our mental health. And sometimes uh, we don't get outdoors enough, I think, in our current uh, culture. So but anyway, I that just made a great point, Nancy, that the paper didn't delve into so much. And they did mention it at one point. But the the human bonds with the horse that yeah. got lost over that period of time. They did mention that in this paper, but it would be interesting to kind of look into that further because that has a profound effect mentally too. I was thinking during lockdown, you know, I'm fortunate my horses live with me. I could still go out to the barn and work with them. And that was a big part of my lockdown activity was I increased my time I spent with my horses. And um, the people that boarded and were not allowed to go visit their horses mm -hmm. uh, would have been very difficult for me to stay away in trust that, you know, my horses was okay. And uh, just that attachment of being able to go see them and connect with them, I would have really missed that during a lockdown. And those are little things that I think need to be thought of and maybe done a little different because so much of the um, horses are in ventilated barns. They're outside in pastures. I don't think it would have really hurt to allow people to visit their horses. So I think next time there needs to be things done a little different, just like I didn't care for the elderly being isolated in nursing homes without visitors. I mean, I think next time we do this go around, there's got to be some um different things done, maybe in safe ways, but not just completely, you know, do away yeah. any contact. Because that's either. No, I think a lot of them died that they gave up yeah. hope. They were stuck in a in a bad situation that they really didn't understand. And I think next time, I think we're all kind of say, looking back. And of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Now we can look back and hopefully learn from the lockdowns and maybe in the future do things a little different. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
Okay. Well, Kate, this was a good one. Um, I really enjoyed the, um, all the data and it's open access. You have access to the charts and the heart rates and everything. So uh, the penalty minutes, and I thought it was really an overall thoughtful paper that is very, very interesting to read. So we'll put a link on the homepage. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, okay. Nancy. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Take care.